everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Lighter Side of Serial Killers here on the Boom Bastic Media Network. I am your host, Keith Rovere. I am happy uh, you guys tuned in. Uh, I know I've got a lot of new listeners um, from social media guys reaching out, uh, wondering what I do, why I do, why I talk to serial killers. Um, I've been involved in prison outreach and rehabilitation uh, most of my adult life. Uh, I have a couple books out. Um, one, uh, Serial Killers in Heaven and Victims in Hell. It's a question mark on the end of that question. Uh, examining, is faith real? Not in general, but in the life of violent offenders and those who are in prison. Because um, in my experience, uh, a lot of times it's like 50-50, where you know, when you reach the rock bottom, the lowest point, especially those on death row, um, serial killers, you know, extreme violent offenders, some who are never getting out of prison. Um, when they hear about there's hope and forgiveness and there's no one else to turn to, you know, a lot of people do turn to God. They go, oh, I, I can be forgiven. They go, some of it's fake, some of it's real. So I, I picked some people that I've been pen pals with for years, um, like the son of Sam David Berkowitz, um, a couple of Charles Manson family members, and Bruce Davis, who's been on the podcast, uh, Tex Watson, uh, among others. Um, Mark Chapman, you know, the, the murder of John Lennon, uh, all these men I've known for years, um, who, you know, agree to, you know, share their story with me. And I kind of let the reader decide, like, I, I kind of, it's not really a Christian book, so to speak, but I do lay out what the Bible says, uh, makes a Christian. What do you got to do or believe in or this and that? And, um, to kind of let the reader know, because a lot of my followers aren't believers. I might not even believe in God at all. And to kind of lay out a basic foundation so the reader has a kind of some insight um, of what uh, the Christian Bible says. And just through my correspondence, mostly it's time is with letters uh, back and forth uh, through some of these men and women. And see, is it real? If they just put it on the show for a parole board, uh, book's doing good. You can pick it up on Amazon. I got signed copies here. Um, I also, David Berkowitz has sent me a little, um, almost like a cartoon pamphlet, uh, um, almost like a graphic cartoon, if you will, describing his journey from the son of Sam to the son of Hope. Uh, So you can check that out. Um, Every signed copy I sent out, you know, I'm going to put one of those in there, uh, pamphlet directly uh, from David to me. And my other book is The Story of You. Uh, It's not Y-O-U, that's Y-U, as in Yumasaki, who's featured on Signs of a Psychopath. Such an amazing story, and really studying how brain abnormalities um, can take a normal person and really turn them into a violent offender, or at least have these violent urges that some can control, some can't control, depending on the abnormality of the brain, especially when the amygdala is damaged, which is primarily the focus, uh, the part of the brain that I focus on, where, where it's held um, like empathy, um, the stopping mechanism. You know, when that guy bumps you in the shoulder, you want to turn around to smack him or somebody cuts you off on the road, an instant reaction is like, ah, I'm going to get him. But your amygdala kicks in and says, ah, man, maybe I, sh- I shouldn't have beat the hell out of him. <laughs> you know? Well, they don't have that. So if they don't have the ability to stop, I kind of examine free will in their life, um, especially when they have no fear, no empathy, and no stop button. Really examine how we look at people. Yes, there's evil people in the world who do evil things, but there's also people who have brain abnormalities who do evil things. There's a big difference uh, in how the courts look at that. Prison rehabilitation, how that works, how the court system is looking at people with psychopathy and brain abnormalities and how they treat them, how they sentence somebody like that. Um, 
and on and on. But again, that's called the story of you. You can pick that up again. It's signed copies. You Masaki, who is featured on Signs of a Psychopath. I believe it's the first episode of season three called I Am Strange. If you watch that, uh, you'll get a sense of who you is, and it just captivated me. I had to reach out and write to him. And you come to to the realization that somebody like you who um, was born autistic but with an abusive father, uh, they had no idea, or no, I don't think they really cared, at least not from his father, how to treat him, how to, di- how to diagnose somebody with autism. It's to be Asperger's autism um, mixed with abuse schizophrenia, which apparently ran in his family, um, psychotic. Um, it was just amazing. And, and every time, every phone call, every letter, he would say something new that just blew my mind. I was like, man, i, I got to write this. i got to tell his story. Uh, again, it goes down many roads. Um, and also on, on the same path as that, somebody else who has something very similar uh, going on with Asperger's is Wayne Allen Ford, a uh, notable serial killer. Um, he was the one, if you remember, turned himself in, uh, him and his brother, uh, with his brother's guidance, you know, and, and kind of begging him to turn himself in, which he did, and the police didn't even believe him. Ah, I'm not sure. Are you the killer? You're not the killer? Well, when he pulled out of his pocket a woman's breast, who he was known to cut off. Uh, yep, we got the guy. <laughs> uh, I've been talking a lot to Wayne lately. Um, he's agreed to come on the podcast. We had a couple of great phone conversations and, you know, a lot of letters and emails back and forth. Um he wants to tell his story. I mean, he's read my book. I sent him a copy of it. Uh, there's two doctors at his facility, uh, one who read it and another one's reading it now. Uh, I'd love to have them come on, but I know, you know, that con- uh, patient, con- the confidentiality agreement, so to speak. Um, but I might just have them on, not necessarily talking about Wayne, but just in general, how these abnormalities can change people um, from normal person to having these, you know, these horrible thoughts. Um, they give him many examples in the book about that. Uh, which you guys hopefully you can pick up on Amazon. And what you has done, you as an artist also, the book is filled with his artwork, his artwork drawing the crime um, in different scenes uh, throughout his life. Uh, he, he, did, he made up some bookmarks you know, that he signed on the back. So, again, if you want to sign a copy of that, reach me out to me on social media. I can get you get your copy. Or just go to Amazon and leave a review. Uh, reviews are coming in, which is pretty good. They're all you know four- and five-star reviews. So I appreciate it. Uh, some other stuff going on before we get to the matter at hand, which is the happy face killer Keith Jesperson, um, the Long Island serial killer, uh, Mr. Rex Harriman, I guess you pronounce his last name. I was almost on an episode of Dateline NBC coming up uh, this month. Uh, one of the producers reached out to me uh, through a friend. Uh, she listened to a lot of episodes of my podcast. Um, and, and just love I might be doing something with, a few in, with them in the future. I was kind of bummed that... Uh, I guess the main producer wanted to go in a different direction, uh, which is a bummer. I was like, direction did not include me. Uh, that would have been great to have a couple, you know, some million viewers uh, looking at my uh, my ugly mug on the TV and hear about the podcast. But you never know what what's you know what the future holds. But the topic she was really fascinated was was Keith has reached out to serial killers in the past, and we're going to talk about that tonight. Um, or Keith is going to be talking about that tonight, and he asked for the address for Rex at the jail he's being held now. Uh, I, I found out the address. I sent it to him, and he wrote Rex a letter. And Rex wrote back. And she was fascinated by that. And I was, they're going to use that as part of the story on this two-hour, I think it's going to be two-hour uh, feature on Rex. And I was going to be part of it talking about that, you know, among some, uh, some other things. But unfortunately, that's not going to happen. But that's okay. I got a new connection, a producer in Dateline, and so things are looking good for me. Um, but tonight... We're going to hear directly from Keith 
Uh, I wanted him to talk specifically about his relationship with some other people that he has written over the years as far as being a pen pal. Uh, so without further ado, let's hear from Mr. Happy Face himself, Keith Jesperson. Hi. Hey, there you go. Yeah, I finally found a phone I could sit down at. Oh, that's good. Definitely yeah, good. Yeah, my leg, I got that screwed up knee. Yeah. So you notice that uh, I'm in the news again today, huh? They announce everything? Uh, Florida. Uh, uh, Florida case are, is out in the open that uh, they know who she is and how they found out and that uh, they mentioned my name and they didn't do a whole lot on it, uh, from what I understand. Yesterday I got a uh, arrest warrant out of Florida. No, I'm sure, yeah. Uh, so this is, you know, it's all going to, you know, they're either going to do, do a video or who knows, they might... They might be able to get a wild hair up their ass. They might uh, send me their stand in front of a judge to say I did it. Yeah, well, I'm not at sure. A cost, at a cost of a couple hundred thousand dollars. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, just, I just looked online. Yep. It says, uh, yep, Miami Herald has something. And looks like two hours ago. Looks like it. everything popped off. Now, that was the one yeah. with you were, you know, the the picture was that the one you drew a picture of like the Nicole Kidman looking yeah, one? Yeah, that's the one I drew a picture of. Of yeah, of Nicole Kidman. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't know what they're going to do. So I'm going to I'm going to leave it alone until I'm sentenced. Sure. I don't want to piss off the judge. I don't want to say something that's going to piss off everybody down the line. And you know, I know what I'd like to say to to the court or to the judge, and which I will if they allow me to say it, is that, that uh, over the years I've seen a lot of people go in front of a judge as murderers and they blame the victim for why they killed them. And I was like, that's just the wrong thing to do because it wasn't the victim's fault why I injected myself in their lives. Of course. Mm-hmm. So I injected myself into their lives and that's why they died. That's not... It's my responsibility. It's not their responsibility. They they did nothing wrong, according mm-hmm. to them. Sure. And I can't I can't blame them. I just I can only blame myself because I put myself and them in that situation. Yeah. So that's the uh, that's the play on that. Did you talk to? So a... Did you want to do anything with this uh, podcast, or are you you recording now, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm up here. Yep. Up in the studio. Yeah. So, and uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I've, I've been writing uh, Rex Hurman. I, as a matter of fact, I write a lot. Of, I write a lot of killers that are originally arrested mm-hmm. and sitting in county jail or city jail, and they have no idea what's going on. I mean, this is the only reason I'm writing them is because I've gone through this. I was going to say the very first time you did it was that the motivation. Um, do you remember who the first person you wrote was, and with the, was that the motivation to to start writing people to kind of let them know what they're in for? Oh, I I, I can't remember exactly who it was, but um, the guy's name was in Texas. There were three individuals that had dragged a black man underneath or behind their pickup truck down a gravel road, and he killed mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And I'd written to all three to explain to them how they. they you know they're, they're they're done. I mean they have to uh, they have to go public and and try to explain their position because all three of them didn't do it. I mean so the 
the guy that was driving, I, I got a hold of one guy and I explained to him that if he went public and he told him what his, you know, I think he went on 60 Minutes. He did what I asked him to do. And he went on 60 Minutes and he told his story about how he was kind of coerced into being the driver or something of his pickup truck and the other guy tied him up or whatever and he, he drove him down there. But he ended up getting life not the death penalty. Wow. And, uh, just from listening to what I had to say, I believe. Now, I, I also, I wrote to Wayne Adam Ford. He's the serial killer that was up there in Northern California that walked in the sheriff's office, told him he was a serial killer, and they didn't believe him, so he pulled out of his backpack a severed breast, and he threw it on the sheriff's desk. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, they went around looking for body parts. Oh, yeah. And I wrote him... I wrote him and uh, told him what to expect. Now I'm not I'm not writing these guys to condone the crimes they did. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not uh, climbing on board to you know gloat or help gloat over what they did. I'm I'm there just to tell them what they're what the what they have to expect. Yeah. When they get to uh, when they go to trial, they got all these prosecutors and everybody coming at them with all these different uh, reasons why they want to kill them. Yeah. They have to have an idea of what's coming next. So mm-hmm. the legal system is not, I mean, basically what happens is you get arrested and the legal system takes over. The law takes over. Yeah. And they have no idea how the law works. And I'm basically mm-hmm. trying to tell them how the law works. Sure. And, and that's the basis behind all this so that they know from one point to another, what's going to happen next. Yeah. And like I said, when I sent to Wayne Adam Ford, uh, I sent him the letter telling him what, what to expect. Uh, his lawyer actually wrote me and thanked me for informing his client about what to expect. Oh, good. Because he, he had no idea. He had, he had no idea. And, of course, the lawyer knows that uh, what I told him was, you know, you know, buckle up. This is what's going to happen down the road. And, of course, and California, and I think he's on death row. I believe he is. Now, yeah, yeah. I talked uh, to him. Uh, I, 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 I've been talking to Wayne for a while now, and uh, a little hard to talk to. I mean, he knows he has some mental challenges. That's difficult. Yeah, I, yeah. And I think that had a lot to do with why the lawyer wrote me a letter mm-hmm. because I don't think he understood, and he needed someone to tell him how to understand this. Yeah, that would make sense. But, uh, he was he was talking to uh, you know Victoria Redstall, the actress, supermodel. Mm-hmm. They had hooked up. They had hooked up together, and they did something together, some documentary or something like that. And she's a nut by herself. Yeah, he, it's funny because he she, a, he literally just mentioned that. Um, what, what did he say? Let me pull up the message. He was like, uh, I guess they were, she's working on a documentary. I think it was called Room Zero or something. Um, but they just had some yeah, type Room of Room Zero. Yeah, they, they had a little bit of a falling out. She's like, she could be a little bit of a bull in a china cabinet sometimes. <laughs> yeah, there's a little... As he well, called, I, I wrote, I mean, I remember calling her on the phone once and she was in a car. And all I could hear is like, I got the happy face color on my phone. Uh, and yeah. she's telling everybody in the car. So in other words, I'm the white elephant in the room, right? Exactly. So she's putting me right out there on front street. Says, oh, look at who I got on the phone and... Mm-hmm. And everything like that. So it, she was kind of pushing that narrative along, like, hey, look at me, kind of thing. Exactly. And so that was my dealing with her. Now, she sent me, she wanted, uh, when I went down to Riverside County, California in 2009, 2010, she shows up, right? Now, <laughs> she, she, 
brings in a, a girlfriend of hers that's in netting. I mean, I can see everything. Oh, jeez. Right? Yeah, she, they're both supermodels. They both come in. They're both gorgeous women. And they know what, what they can get past the guards. And they come in, they sit in there, and they're like, give me a beaver show and everything like that in, a, in <laughs> jail. Knowing I can't touch them. I can't even reach over, you know, they're between glass. Come yeah, on. exactly. You know, thank you very much for bringing that in and expressing to me exactly what I'm doing without now mm-hmm. for the last so many years. Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to see that knowing I couldn't have it. <laughs> that might just aggravate yeah, me. I don't know. It's kind of one of those things, yeah. But, so I've, I've written him now. I also wrote to Angel Mazzarino Resendez, the mm-hmm. railroad serial killer out of Texas. I wrote him right up until his execution. Oh, wow. I remember about a week or two before his execution, he had cut mm-hmm. himself so bad he they had to put about 200 stitches in him, and they give him some transfusions in order to keep him alive so they could kill him a few weeks later. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, that's just the, the ludicrous of, uh, of how the system works. Yeah. Now, lately, you know, like I said, I've, I've written to Rex Hurman, the uh, Long Island serial killer. Mm-hmm. I basically told him the same thing I told everybody else. So this is what you're up against now. I told him you need to own it. Yeah. I mean, they got him. I said, one of the questions he had on in the letter to me was, uh, they, you know, he hadn't seen any of the, uh, you know, any of the material they had, any of the information that they, they had on discovery. And I wrote him back and I said, there's no discovery. If you're, if you're innocent, there's discovery, but if you're not innocent, you already know what they got. In other words, they, he has, all this, I mean, they would not have arrested him unless they had enough information to take him to trial and convict him. Of course. Period. Mm-hmm. And he needs to learn that. He needs to know that. I think he's a, now, I wrote down what, what he wrote in the first little couple lines, and it just basically says, first off, I would like to say thank you for the, your letters and advice. They have been a help and comfort to me. I do understand what you have said and taken it to heart. That's what he his response to in the letter, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, he, and he goes on to talk about timing to do things. Um, he asked me about what, what what my life was in OSB, my day to day in OSB, what kind of food do I have here. He was concerned about do they have butter on bread, that kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, now I feel he was scared. Uh, he doesn't know how to solve himself. Mm. He's, you know, he, like I said, he, he he got arrested. He has to deal with lawyers, and the lawyers are are feeding him um, a defense. They're they're going to they're going to come up with some kind of defense for him. And I don't think he's quite sure what he really wants. I don't think he really wants that kind of defense, but he doesn't know how to tell him that. Uh, okay. You know, and then I went mm-hmm. and sent some letters off to him, explaining to him how I took care of my case. Sure. I basically, what, what I had to do is myself was that uh, I had to call the detective in about late at night, about 11 o'clock at night. I talked to the detective for about six hours, and I confessed 100% to all my all my cases so that there was no discovery on anything. I didn't want, I wanted the, the prosecutor to gloat over the idea that I gave him all the information, but I also wanted my lawyer to understand that there was no information that he could take to trial to get me murdered in the second degree. Mm-hmm. And that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to take me, he wanted to go to trial and, and, and 
hopefully get me murdered in the second degree. And I kept telling him, I said, you know, five or six murders in the second degree, I'm still not getting out of prison. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right? That's just how it is. Yeah. Um, if I had, you know, if you keep adding this up, you know, my I got 30 with a 20 minimum on the first one, followed by 37 and a half, followed by 34 and a half years, followed by a, a life without, followed by another 25 to life. You know, yeah, this is how it all plays out. I mean, this is mm-hmm. there's, there's no getting out of this, mm-hmm. and that's why that's how I explain to these guys. Did Rex have... When they get arrested for a multiple, this is no getting out of it. You've got to yeah. look at the final, the final solution is you're going to be found guilty. You're going to do the rest of your life where you're going to end up on death row. And if there's a death penalty on the table, you need to ruin a fair trial by having all the discovery out there in the open so everybody knows about it before you get there. Yeah. So they have to give you a deal. Because the only reason they have a trial is for, for discovery, for evidence that's not known. Mm-hmm. If you if you go public and you tell everything on yourself, everybody knows that's what you did. Oh, what's the prosecutor going to do? He's going to say he's going to take you to trial, and he says he's going to get up there and say like, uh, "I'm going to prove to you that everything that Mr. Jesperson told you six months ago is true." Yeah. But even though he told you the truth, even though he came forward with full responsibility, I still want you to kill him anyway. And that's what you'd have to do. Yeah. They don't want to do that because it throws a mockery. It throws. I mean, I've been told I don't play fair, but <laughs> that's how the system works. You have to use the system against itself. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that when people get arrested for murder or, or multiple murders or any crime like that or serial of anything, they're facing a long longevity there. They're they're serving. They're going to serve a long, long, long time. Yeah. And. Some of them, you know, like what about Ted Bundy? Did? Ted Bundy, you know, I didn't, I didn't write him because he was, I wasn't around when he was there. But anyway, when Ted Bundy went to court, he was had tried to be a lawyer one time. So what he wanted to do, he wanted to lawyer his own defense. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, yes, he, he got a lot of publicity. But at the same time, he screwed himself. Yeah, definitely. You know, he he was offered a life sentence if he just settled everything and just went quietly into the night. Mm-hmm. You know, but because he wanted to glorify himself, he put himself out there, and they and he got the death penalty. And then, yeah. of course, later later in life, he had what do you have a daughter, uh, a wife, yeah, a wife, like that. wife, he started having a family. He had, yeah. he had something that he could live for. Yeah. And then you now he wanted to help with the Green River Killer, trying to help them. And of course, that's not going to help. I mean, he doesn't know anything. Mm-hmm. So it basically came down to you know he's. He screwed himself. He, they got tired of him talking. Yeah, yeah. And then they even asked that's him. What, that's, th- how, that's how Ted Bundy ended his life. He got tired of him talking. Said, yeah. I don't care how many more people he killed. I'm just gonna, we're just going to kill you. We don't have to hear about it anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think there's. Now, of course, you know. I don't think there's a lore in the yeah, right yeah. mind where no, because his teeth were all messed up, and they told him as a sham because one of the girls had bite marks. And didn't have, you know, that physical evidence to prove that, that it was him. So they, they conned him. They're like, hey, you're going to be on TV. Would you like us to fix your teeth? We'll give you, you know, straighten out your teeth and do some work for you. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, j- just bite down on this. We, we need a mold of your teeth. And, of course, they took that mold, matched it to the bite marks on the girls. Oh, we got you. you yeah, know? they're gone. A lawyer would not let you do that. You know, it's, it's like a— You know, if, you know they— 
they they do what they have to do to get the case, get the evidence. And he he basically just he sold himself on the farm. You know that's what he did. He <laughs> yeah. sold himself. Yeah. Oh, and he wasn't as smart as he thought he was. And no. We're not. We're not all. And I'm not saying I'm smart. I'm saying that I just understand the law better because I went through it. Oh, experience. Yeah, it's experience. And it's just just a fact. And I just tell him this is what I did to get. I got two people out of prison within. So when I went public in September of 1995, I went public to say I was in fact a happy face killer, and that I I did that murder where those two people were involved. It only took me a month to prove that I was the killer of those two of that of that person that those two mm-hmm. people were in prison for. Mm-hmm. It took another month for them to get it together to get them out of prison. So by by November second, I had my first murder conviction. So I started in November on on September nineteenth when I went public. November second, I had my first murder conviction. On December fifteenth, I had my second one and my third one on December nineteenth. So I had three murder convictions within 90 days, and I've gotten two people out of prison <laughs> just doing the, what I think was the right way to do it. Yeah. And I was to force my guilt down their throats and force them to accept the fact that I was guilty. Mm-hmm. The problem with most people, they, they, they get in there and let the lawyer take them, and they're trying to say they're innocent. But they're not really saying they're innocent. They're trying to say they're not guilty, and that's how the law reads. Yeah. You can't plead not guilty. Or you can't plead your innocent at your arraignment. I don't even know why they have arraignments. <laughs> you might as well sit in your your jail cell and have them hand you a paper that says this is what you're you're being tra- charged with. Yeah, definitely. Because you cannot say you're guilty because the, the law will not allow you to do so. Gotcha. You mm-hmm. have to enter a, the, the court will enter a plea of uh, of not guilty, and that is they're not saying you're not innocent. I mean you're innocent. They're saying you're not guilty because of the statute of all the different crimes they're going to lay on you, so they sure. detect some of those to make a deal. Do you get a sense from... They rent? always go overboard with, with charges. Oh, you can yeah. have one murder and six different charges of murder on one person. Hmm. Why to cover all the spectrum of uh, murder from manslaughter all the way up to murder in the first degree? Yeah. It's all it's all about uh, percentages of the gray, the gray areas of crime. Yeah. Do you get a sense from Rex about how he was feeling or what his thoughts were about anything? Uh, like a, I think he's. I think he's. He wants to do what I, that I told him. I think he's. He, he's biding his time to see how it works plays out. Yeah. Well, he's only been now what uh, four months, what is it, something sure. like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's not a long time. No, no. The, the, the system runs really slow. So he might need about six months or a year before he. Before he even goes to trial, mm-hmm. he may have to sit down and discuss it with his lawyers. So, all right, there's no real defense here. This is what we need to do. Let's just go ahead and make a deal. And then the lawyers come off like they made a deal. Yeah. And I think you told and him. That's what I think you, you told me before that you told him that the hard time is right now, like the jail. Yeah. It's almost like you want to get to prison the as quick as you can. The hardest time you'll do is county time. Yeah. And what's the main the difference? Time is county time, city time, whatever. It's the hardest time you'll ever do. Now, what what are some of the differences um, for those? To prison, mm-hmm. If he goes to prison, it'll get easier. And what makes it easier for somebody? Well, it's because you get now get into routine. You already know what your convictions are. You're set up, and you're not moving. You're not going to court. You're not doing any of this moving back and forth on on court. 
and you don't have the jail shuffling you around, going to the, you know, everywhere you're going for hearings and different things. This is, the food is different. The food is better in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, what he's, what he's worried about butter on his bread, well, he'll get margarine <laughs> when he gets to prison. You know? yeah. But he'll have, if he stays in New York, he'll be in protective custody, but he still will be in prison, but he'll be in a cell like death row mm-hmm. would be. And nobody's going to get to him, so he can, but in county, they, they can get to him. Oh, okay. So he's his not... prob- his okay. problem is that it'll be just like uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Now, Jeffrey Dahmer went to prison, but they set it up so he could get got to. Yeah, they, yeah exactly. That guy come yeah. in and beat him to death with a broom handle. That, that should never have happened, mm-hmm. but there's enough people that wanted him dead, so that's how that happened. It's just no different than that guy that had that island with all the sex traffic oh, going yeah. on. yeah. You know, the, yep. the guards disappeared for a short period of time. He ends up hanging himself. Yeah. Yeah, with his hands tied behind his back or something like that. I don't know, something like that. Yeah, and the cameras magically turn off and there's no recording. Yeah, of it. <laughs> everything happens. No one has a, a visual of this. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is always a problem when you're, when you're dealing with this, of them coming in and, and hanging you. Like, look at what Castro, uh, Castro that, mm-hmm. that got Barry, um, Amanda Barry. Yeah. He, he suicided up. Did he really suicide up, or did they suicide him up? Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Definitely They true. didn't want him to spend the rest of his life in prison and at, at, on the taxpayer's dollar. They, mm-hmm. The story was big enough and bad enough as it is, they just wanted him out of the way. Yeah. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Someone went in and helped him hang himself. That's what he did. Yeah. That'd be my guess. That's just my guess. Sure. Right? So. Now, I know some facilities, like one person housed at this facility isn't really allowed to send letters to other people at housing other facilities um i guess your facility it's a little different like I, it was actually surprising that um uh when i gave you his information is hey let's just we'll try to send him a letter i was surprised that you were allowed to do it and i was surprised that his facility accepted well, that like, he I, knows i mean they know that you're writing him, i'm sure well they're they know i'm writing him right mm-hmm. they know i'm writing him sure they would have and to. they know the message i'm sending him is to own it yeah. So they want the letters to get to him. They want him to understand that this guy's gone through this already. Mm-hmm. Now you want to listen to this guy that's, that's telling you how the system is yeah. so that when you finally, uh, you might help the, the the police out and solve all the other cases that they want, want to solve with this guy. Yeah, definitely. If, if he owns sense. everything, mm-hmm. that's what I'm telling him to do. So don't hold anything back. Don't be like... Yeah. You know, like uh, BTK or something like that. You might have a few more laying out there or something like that. But you don't want to have, you don't want to have more out there. Yeah, yeah. When you settle your case, you get everything in in writing. When he does that, then he has to have everything out in the open so that it's all discovery out there that all these cases are are put away. Definitely. So that you don't have one come up twenty years later. Well, look what we're going to look at mine is this one case I've worked on here in Florida mm-hmm. has been, uh, has, has opened up 26 years, 27 years later. They finally mm-hmm. get around to settling the case. Yeah. Of course, it's a little different because they didn't know who it is. Sure. Now they do. Did but, you, did you, you know, get this? Whatever. Yeah. What's that? I was going to say, did you get the sense from him? Because you mentioned BTK. Like some people, like yourself, you wanted to get in and out as quick as you can, which you did. But other people like BTK made a spectacle of it. Like when he was in court, he went detail by detail for every aspect of the murder and relished, well, relished I, in it. Did you get a sense? I of, explained that. 
Mm-hmm. I explain that. If you want press, this is the, you're going to get it. Yeah. If you yeah. want the press, you want to be in the news every day, go to trial. Mm-hmm. Go to trial every day. You'll be in the news. You'll be on court TV every day, and they'll be discussing your case. Oh, yeah. So that at, so for the next six months or a year that you're in trial, you're going to be on the news. And then, every, then when you hit the prison, everybody in the prison is going to know what was said on court TV and everything. Because that could be a bad thing. Right for somebody. It's a bad thing. Yeah, for for get a, to know, everyone mm-hmm. gets to know everything that's going on. I mean, it's like how many people watch the news. Some a lot of guys in prison don't watch the news. They don't want to watch it. But when they get other inmates tell them, "Hey, man, you got to watch the news. This guy's on TV." And next thing you know, you got instead of maybe like in this prison, we got twenty two hundred people. Maybe fifty people saw it on TV. Well, it was coming on the news later tonight or something like that. There might be 500 now watching it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Did you get the sense? I know it's so, only one letter. I mean, he's probably going to write you back again. I think you said you're expecting another letter. Well, he told me He told me he's only writing to me. Yeah. He's not going to write to any. He's not going to write to anybody else that wants to be a pen pal, so I told him not to. Yeah. I told him, I said, anytime you write to a pen pal when you're not convicted, he's not convicted now. Exactly. He's just a suspect right now. That's all he is is a suspect. Mm-hmm. He's not He's not a convicted felon right now. He's just a yeah. suspect. Until he's convicted, then he might as well keep his mouth shut because loose lips sink ships, right? Oh yeah. Unless so you don't want you don't want you don't want to be talking. It's like I remember a friend of mine told me, Keith, you lied to me, and I said, God, I had to lie to you. I had to lie to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't lie to one person, tell the truth to another, then that yeah. person I told the truth to goes to the cops and tells them, Well, you he said this to me and. The other guy over there, oh, yeah, he's a lazy you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So in other words, I have to tell the same story over and over again. Sure. And, and, and I found that while I was incarcerated, you know, where the lawyer was trying to get me to tell different stories, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What if I just tell the truth, right? <laughs> yeah, that's now a, that's something, right? It is a novel. Tell the truth. Yeah. It's easy to tell. Yeah. easy to remember. Exactly. Nothing's different. Mm-hmm. And if I just keep telling the truth, then this case will go away, right? And he says, well, I yeah. don't know about that. <laughs> There's always this. He says, you can't you can't do this, you can't do that. And when you tell these stories, I said, yeah, but if you tell the truth, it's, it's, it, it is what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't have to come back and remember, try to remember what you told them, you know, months ago. Yeah. Do you get, yeah. A, do you get a sense that Rex was more about... Wanting publicity or not wanting it? Like, let's, I, I think he wants us to go away. Okay, good. good. I think this, you know, I think he really wants us to go away. I don't think he likes the limelight that he's getting. Okay. And his problem is, is that he's going to get a lot of it. Now, we'll soon see how, how, how far he goes along with this and moves this along. Because yeah. uh, if, he, if he goes to trial and, and they, they're in court every day, we know damn well he's... He doesn't have the balls after killing to <laughs> step up for himself and prove that he can yeah. uh, take control of his case. Yeah, for sure. Well, so I'm and sure. That's the problem. You know, a yeah. lot of guys don't have that power. They don't. Uh, they can't. Uh, they can't rationalize it out. How how do I get it away from my lawyer? You pretty much sometimes you have to throw caution to the wind and just do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to you've got to look at the end result. Is you're going to be found guilty. Period. This is the end result. Yeah. This is what you're, it's going to happen anyway. 
you can't do anything about it. So why not just push it along? Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm sure he's going to write you back. You'll have a oh, you'll yeah. get more I'll of a, a, a sense of what it's going to be like. And... I wrote him to let him know mm-hmm. that my my daughter Melissa is doing a GoFundMe page for his wife, his ex-wife. Yeah, she told me. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm telling you, I just heard that, and you know, you know, the other day I just wrote him back. I said, my God, I said, my daughter, you know, Melissa Moore Penoyer, is the last thing Penoyer now, mm-hmm. is now helping her do a GoFundMe, and if all the power to her, right? Because she needs she needs help. I mean, she she didn't know what was going on. Yeah. She needs help. She needs sure. uh, financial support and stuff like that. So all mm-hmm. the power to her. Yeah. And if my daughter can help her do that, all the, that's, that's fine. I, I have, a, have no mm-hmm. no problem with that. All right, there you have it. The happy face killer Keith Jesperson uh, and some of his pen pals. <laughs> Um, which is fascinating. I mean, what, the funny thing is, you know, I get comments, you know, multiple comments every day on between all my social media pages, and um, I'm still trying to get a YouTube page going. I haven't done really too much with that, um, but you know, you get a lot of negative comments. You know, how could you be nice to this person, nice to that person? I mean, I, I don't realize, and it it doesn't always sink in of who I talk to every day. Um, and over and over again, like my phone rings off the hook. Most people know that um, who are incarcerated that I talk to. I'm home um, available for phone calls in the evening. Um, a lot of people in California. Um, so from about 7 o'clock to about 11 o'clock at night, my phone is always ringing. It's just a part of my life. Like I don't really think about it too much. It's just commonplace. You know, I remember the very first time I got a letter from BTK. You know, Dennis Rader, the first time from David Berkowitz. You know, you just, you get the chills. Like, oh, I don't want to open it. They know where I live and they got my address and this and that. And But now it's just a normal everyday occurrence. People like this call me every day. Um, and so when I'm talking to these producers, especially one from Dateline and other people too, um, they, their mind is blown. Not just that I talk to them, but when they found out that, you know, a serial killer writes other serial killers. Now, not every prison facility is allowed to write other facilities. I mean, Keith's prison in, in Oregon um, is a little bit more liberal in that. Um, in California, it's turn, you know, pretty much the same way. It's getting there anyway. Uh, but at least he's allowed to write. Um, and I wanted you to get the insight of, of why he was doing it, not just like the cool factor. Um, I mean, for example, there is, I recently had Dr. Scott Bond on the show, uh, one of the world's leading criminologists and his one-man show. I think he might even mentioned it in his book. But during his one-man show, he had mentioned serial killer Dana Gray, who I've had on the show, and I've I've been I've known Dana for countless years now. Um, he said that she wrote Dennis Rader, a serial killer, to another serial killer. He made it a, a very negative, you know, thing. Now ah, look at serial killers writing serial killers, and he said that Dennis Rader was appalled that a woman with only a couple murders wrote me that I have all these murders, and he sent the card. She's an artist. She probably did a little artwork on the card and sent it. He, I mean, he sent it to Dr. Scott Bond, and he blew it up on the screen on the stage, and I could look at it. And I asked Dana, I was like, Dana, you never told me you wrote, you know, BTK. But the reasoning behind it wasn't like ad- ad- admiration, although the letter was like that. I mean, the wording was like that. But in reality, she wanted to know if she was like him. Am I really a serial killer? Not like she wasn't a multiple offender, but like the mentality. Am I a psychopath? Am I really... 
do I get off on this? And let me write somebody who, who I know is a serial killer and see if we have anything in common. And she quickly realized no. Um, she, she didn't think she was like them. Um, I mean, Dana is very compassionate, and uh, I've known her over the years. She wrote the Ford. If you pick up my book, Serial Killers in Heaven, Victims in Hell, she wrote the Ford to that book. Um, and she's done some very amazing things. Not only obviously she's an artist, but as far as um, the empathy that she has and she, how she's helping out a lot of other women at the facility and um, getting the word out as much as she can about positive change. And she's definitely come a long way. Um, so there is instances of, you know, serial killers writing about serial killers, but the motivation behind it is kind of what I, what I wanted to get out. I talked to Keith yesterday, actually, and that, that phone call was a couple weeks ago. Uh, the Florida case is out. He looks like he's not going to be transferred at all to Florida. It's all going to be done over the phone in December. Uh, next month, the whole thing's going to be over. He's going to be trying, you know, sentenced there. Uh, I'm sure just like another life. Um, but it looks like he's going to stay in Oregon, which he was really hoping because uh, he's at the honor unit there. Um, well, actually, right now he's, he's transferred doing some plumbing work. So he's back at a different section of the prison. So I don't talk to him as much. Doesn't have quite the access to the phone as he had before in the honor unit. Um, but, uh, you know, he doesn't know how long he's going to be there until all the plumbing work is done in, in his section. Um, but we've got some more coming up from Keith. I have a, another podcast that we recorded, too, with Keith. Um, this question, really getting to know him uh, personally. Once again, it's called the lighter side of serial killer. So it's really focusing on who they are as a person, some childhood stories and recipes and, and all that kind of stuff to get to know him as a human being, not just for the murders. That's why I think this podcast is a little bit different. Not only does serial killers call the show, but um, talk about art because I've been building friendships with these guys, men and women, for years. To get to know who they really are as a person, not just the crime itself. Um, and again, a little bit why I do it's you know it's prisons are negative reinforcement, punish, 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 which is not going to work for anybody, uh, especially violent offenders with psychopathy. But reward does, positive encouragement does, and that's what I talked to Dana Gray a lot about. Is showing people kindness, love, and compassion that helps them. That helps them mentally because some of these men and women are going to get out. And you don't want the person who was three times the monster they were when, when they went in coming out. Um, and what this struggle is, this is why I can't wait to talk to Wayne Allen Ford about this. I'm sure it'll be a multiple podcast with him um, to talk to somebody who knew he had a problem. It's to this day, he has a problem. Um, and the steps, you know, treatment about that, what it's like now, not just killing, not just living that type of you know hidden life so to speak but what's it like to live on a day-to-day basis with you know these brain abnormalities this psychopathy um asperger's autism i'm mixing with everything else um to really get inside his mind Uh, so i'm really really looking for that uh we haven't recorded that we just started talking on the phone and we'll be working on that shortly um but anyway that's a little bit why i do what i do i hope you enjoyed today's podcast and until next time see ya (laughs) 